1: I am your host, Vic Jarami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials and other high profile public figures. Very excited about my guests today. They are Congresswoman Karen Bass, who is a front runner for the LA mayoral race. And Eric Strong, a 30 year plus veteran of the LA Sheriff's Department, who is also running uh, and is a candidate for LA Sheriff. So stay tuned.
0: The Blunt Post with Vic.
1: A native Angelino, Congresswoman Karen Bass has served California's 37th congressional district since 2011. Before her election to Congress, Congresswoman Bess represented the 47th District in the California State Assembly from 2004 to 2010. In 2008, she was elected to serve as the 67th Speaker of the House of the California State Assembly, becoming the first African-American woman in the United States history to serve as a Speaker of a state legislative body. She won the John F. Kennedy Profile in Courage Award in 2010 for her leadership during the Great Recession. Congresswoman Bass is now one of the front runners for the L.A. mayoral race. Good morning, Congresswoman Bass. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you?
2: I am doing fine. And thank you for having me on.
1: My pleasure. So we are in this uh, very uh, interesting time right now. What what is hopefully a transition out of COVID in, in the world, in our nation, in LA, California. um, And we're not going to have a relapse. Uh, We're sort of transitioning out of it, but we're left with a lot of damage. A lot of uh, our, you know, our economy has been hit and such. Um, So I'd like to get your perspective and how you would describe the state of our, Nation as well as L.A. as we are sort of going through this transition?
2: Well, absolutely. Thank you so much for the question. But, you know, one of the, the traumas that we're all going through is, are we going through a transition or not? We are out of two variants this year. Will there be more? So I think, you know, part of it is us kind of adjusting to a new way of life and being flexible. That. Sometimes the virus might spike up, and we might have to go back to doing some of the things that we were doing before, you know, in terms of isolating or wearing masks, uh, you know, or or whatever. My big concern is, you know, of course the health aspect, but the economic aspect. You know what this has done to families, what this has done to small businesses, uh, and making sure that they get the resources that that they need. I mean, our big problem of homelessness. We know was made worse through covid but you also have the people that rent to the tenants uh, who are in danger of foreclosure so i am still in congress the rest of this year and so it is my job to make sure that we have additional relief uh, we can't stop covid relief we can't act as though every you know it's it's almost over and uh and now we don't have to worry about it we have to continue to be concerned and we also have to recognize that those people who are still hurting need our support. One of the frustrations I have, uh, Vic, is, is that we have passed billions of dollars on the federal level. And we've passed a lot of money specifically for renters, for landlords, for small businesses. And I hear all the time where they have not gotten the resources. And so that's something that needs to be addressed in addition to more federal resources.
1: Absolutely. You made really good points. You're right. We're definitely are going to have to accept that. uh, uh, Well, as they say, live life on life's terms. And those terms right now are that COVID is here to stay for a while. You know, hopefully it'll subside a little bit, but uh, to a degree, we need to have a surrender uh, and acceptance of it. Uh, You did mention among many other challenges, um, homelessness. And I think this is kind of a good segue to talk about that as it's Sort of on the front burner of a lot of uh, Angelinos and voters and such, um, May is um, National Foster Youth Month. Uh, something that you're very uh, active. It's close to your heart, um, and you know it, the, the the foster system um, is definitely. <laughs> Has challenges, to say the least, and it does cause some people to to be chronically unhoused after that. So I'll let you talk about that. And, and then we can segue into talking about uh, your plans for, um, uh, for, you know, for the homeless community in LA. And let me just qualify by saying this, I personally think that homelessness is not just an LA problem or California problem, it's a nationwide problem. Um, That also has to do with disintegration of of middle-class. It has to do with inequity in income and such that causes it. Uh, But of course, uh, for a mayor of LA, it's a daunting task. You know, people think that you can just sort of um, just have a magic wand and it'll all just go away. But uh, I don't think that way. So I'll let you speak.
0: Well,
2: absolutely. And I appreciate you pointing out that it's National Foster Care Month. And as you said, Foster youth are many of the people who are living out in tents, because what we do in our society, in our city and in our county is is that when a young person turns 18 or 21, because it's different for different young people, we essentially cut them off of assistance. And so for those parents out there, if you can imagine your 18 or 21 year old child being just, you know, like you didn't even exist what are the odds of them succeeding? All they need is one traffic ticket. All they need is one problem. And then they could be out of everything, a job, a place to live, lose their car, and wind up on the street. So I think we have to pay particular attention to the over 5,000 children who are on our street. Now, not all of them are foster youth. Some of them are with their parents, living in cars or living in tents. But uh, it's important that when we look at the population of unhoused, That we recognize people are on the streets for different reasons. Not everybody is severely addicted and recalcitrant and resistant to services. That is the small, small, small minority. The majority of people are there because they were veterans, they're unhoused for economic reasons, they do have health issues like substance abuse or mental illness or other chronic diseases, or as we downsized our prison system, we didn't think about what was gonna happen to the people when we released them. And so those are the different categories of people that are unhoused. And we need to get people off the streets immediately into temporary housing, and we need to do a better job of temporary housing. We were talking about COVID a second ago. We can't have traditional shelters any longer because that will spread disease. We have to figure out how to have individual units. For, uh, for temporary housing. We have to address why people are unhoused to begin with, like I, like I ran through all the different categories, and then we have to have permanent supportive housing for those people that need it. Not everybody needs permanent supportive housing, but for those that do, we just have to make a decision as a city, and I would say as a county, that we're actually going to solve the problem and not just try to make it better. Solve it, end it, get people off the streets, we have to make that decision in order to do this. And I think that it is a problem. If we think we're going to solve this problem in the city alone, it's a regional problem. It has to be solved in the city and the county for overlapping jurisdictions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It just seems so overwhelming. Um, What is your unique take on like your actual plan with homelessness, your specific actions that you would take once mayor?
2: So first of all, I believe that in in the first year, we can get 15,000 more people off the streets. I'm not talking about 15,000 alone. There's already plans to get a number of people already, a number of projects in the works. Get 15,000 people off the streets, We need to take advantage of publicly owned property, federal, state, county and city owned property. We need to declare a state of emergency in the city, but we have to have a national state of emergency too. That is not enough just to say in the city, we're gonna declare a state of emergency. We need the governor to act. And if the governor won't act, then as mayor, especially with the relationships that I have on the federal level, maybe joining forces with other mayors. I've talked to the mayor of Sacramento, San Francisco, Portland, Oregon, Chicago, St. Louis, all who are interested in receiving more support from the federal government. We need for housing and urban development to remove some of the restrictions on vouchers. We need for them to raise the dollar amount for vouchers because rent in Los Angeles is is high. We need to get a waiver from the federal government so that we can address substance abuse and mental illness. There have been regulation changes that really Uh, tie our hands in terms of the type of facilities that can be built. There is so much that needs to be done, but the city and the county must work together. As you know, the city builds buildings, the county provides services. We cannot be at odds with each other. Our people need both. And so we have to address it that way.
1: Wow, you're not kidding. (laughs) That was the most comprehensive of all that I've heard in terms of, you know, really going all out because that's precisely what the city needs. Because as they say, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I feel like we've been stuck on the same sort of, you know, talking points and the same rhetoric for years about homelessness. And I think everyone means well, but we really haven't gotten anywhere. In fact, it's gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate that. I want to sort of change topics here. I, I was, you know, I, I read your beautiful and eloquent um, statement a few days ago for the 107th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. Uh, You're definitely a huge supporter of the Armenian-American community. You're part of the um, Congressional Armenian Caucus. Um, So I know that your support is unwavering. As you know, there's a sort of another um, tragedy that Armenians are going through, which is Artsakh, the God-Mogarabakh, the attack that was launched against it in uh, 2020 just an ongoing ethnic cleansing, unfortunately, and uh, it seems like it seems like the only solution um, to really stopping this is to recognize Artsakh for what it is—that they declared their independence in '91. So, my question to you is: Do you um, also recognize the independent Republic of Artsakh?
2: Well, you know, um, I think that it is so important to acknowledge when major tragedies have happened in our world. And we need to acknowledge the suffering that people have had. Yes, I remember when those attacks uh, were occurring. I was watching that whole uh, episode and uh, and I was so proud of President Biden for actually acknowledging the genocide, you know, the genocide of the past. Um, you know, uh, many presidents have almost gotten there and then at the last minute didn't. But I think also as things have changed within Turkey, I think that is an entirely situation today and our relationship with Turkey than it was a few years ago. So I was glad to see that, and I do hope that we continue to uh, to move forward as a country in support of the people.
1: How about Artsakh? Are you su- uh, support? Yes, I was of- saying yes. I yeah, yes. fantastic. Um, well, that's definitely appreciated. There, you know, there's so many. Uh, atrocities being committed throughout the world, and not to take yes. anything away from Ukraine, as they rightfully deserve the world's attention. But genocides uh, have been uh, occurring ongoingly, for example, in uh, Yemen for years, uh, Ethiopia, to the Yazdi people, the Kurdish people, um, different, you know, Darfur, you know, up until about eight, nine years ago, and there's still some skirmishes. and But we tend to sort of pick and choose what we put our attention to. So it's it's really um, refreshing when the elected officials are aware of what's happening in Arkansas. Well,
2: I, well you know, we, remember, I do serve on the, the Foreign Affairs Committee. So foreign policy is is a key part of what I do uh, in Congress. But, you know, like you said about the picking and choosing, can you imagine what's happening on our border right now? Uh, exactly. Because you have Ukrainian uh, refugees on our border who are being passed through. And then you have the other refugees on our border who are yeah. not. And very so sad. Uh, that has been that has been uh, historic in terms of how we have looked at conflicts. Uh, if there are conflicts that align with our foreign policy, we tend to be way more welcoming than if there's po- if there's uh, uh, politics that do not align. Uh, I think that's particularly sad in the case of Central America and especially the violence in El Salvador, because, Part of the violence in El Salvador started right here in Los Angeles with the establishment of of the MS-13 gang which was started here. Mm -hmm. And when we deported the gang members to El Salvador, then they went and reorganized there. And so instead of acknowledging our role in the violence in El Salvador, we uh, do not accept uh, people from the country. So I'm very happy that with the Biden administration, we are in the midst of reversing some of the horrors of the uh, Trump administration. And in particular, the Trump administration's policy, which I call state-sponsored child abuse, of separating children. And you know, there's still a thousand children that are in this country. I don't know who they're with. Now, I was listening uh, last week, we had um, Secretary Mayorkas Uh, at the Judiciary Committee. And I was listening to him talking about the efforts of this administration to reunify families. And uh, thank goodness, because for four years, those families were separated and languished, and now they're being reunited. But that's gonna be a lifelong injury to those children and to their parents. Mm
1: -hmm. There is so much uh, bad legacy from Trump that we need to clean up. It'll be years to come, including the Supreme Court. Um, but I want to, uh, you know, I want to move on because I know you're tight with time. Just in general, if you can tell us uh, what, what uh, distinguishes you from your um, your running mates, if you will, others that are running for uh, L.A. mayor.
2: Sure. I mean, I think all of us have something to offer. I think what I bring to the table that is different Uh, are deep, deep years long of relationships on every level of government. So I spent 14 years working day in and day out with city hall, but I never worked there. I was never a city hall insider. Um, I went on to the state government where I served as, as speaker. And so my relationships are strong on the state level. I have the endorsement of the speaker. I have the endorsement of the president of the Senate. So when it comes to accessing state resources, I think I will be in a very a good position. And I have a fine relationship with the governor. In Washington, DC, I have the deep relationships with members of Congress, obviously. I was endorsed by the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, and other members uh, of leadership. But the Biden administration, as I mentioned earlier when I was talking about how I would address homelessness, I mentioned HUD, I mentioned Health and Human Services, I mentioned Homeland Security, because I'm in a position where I could pick up the phone and reach out to one of the secretaries, Uh, quickly. And and I do believe that the only way we're going to address these problems is to marshal all of those resources. And most important, it's to bring Angelenos together to address the problem as well. And I have spent decades of my life devoted to building coalitions to solve very difficult problems. I love to do that. I do that in Congress. I work with some of the people you see on Fox TV, and we get things done. Uh, And here building coalitions across geography, ideology, gender, race, class, and that is what the city needs. It's gonna take the whole of government, but it's also gonna take Angelenos to come together to say, we're tired of addressing the problem. We want to end the problem, solve the problem.
1: I like that. And what a way to, uh, to lead us to the Olympics where LA gets to host it again in a few years. Um, well,
2: yes. and But you know what? Well, before the Olympics, we have other major international sporting events that are going to be right, taking place truth. in our city. And we need to use each of those events to move the needle forward. Not every time an event comes up, do we sweep away the homeless folks. Right. A band aid. Doing that is not going to solve the problem. It's just making sure you tidy up your house before the guests come. We need to solve the problem so it doesn't keep reoccurring.
1: I really like that. I appreciate it. By the way, uh, congratulations for! I'm a member of the Stonewall Democratic Club. Oh, and among many numerous uh, endorsements, you also received <laughs> the endorsement of uh, the Stonewall Democratic Club, the probably the most prominent LGBTQ political advocacy organization. So,
2: well, uh, let me just let me just tell you that that endorsement was my very first Democratic Club endorsement. So oh, it, was wow. very, it was very special to me. It was also our very first debate.
1: Oh wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that, that's fantastic. Yeah. Congresswoman, um, finally, is there a question I should have asked you that I didn't or anything else you'd like to add? And then you can also um, tell us uh, how people can get involved, reach out to you, your website and such.
2: Well, thank you. I think your questions were uh, very thorough. I, I think the other thing that I would say that I would bring to the table is the foreign policy experience my uh, familiarity with interacting with heads of state, uh, interacting with diplomats, traveling the world, and Los Angeles is an international city, and trade is absolutely essential to our city. So I think that that's something else that I, I bring to the table that would be of benefit. And yes, people can get involved. You know, we just had the grand opening for our office on Saturday, and our office is located on La Brea and Obama Boulevard, quite appropriately. Love it. And people can go to karenbass.com. There's so many ways to get involved. Election day, from my point of view, is May 9th. May 9th, that's when everybody gets their ballots. That's election day. We need right. everybody to vote the second they get that ballot in their hand. The election ends June 7th, but it begins May 9th. And that's the way we have to think about it. Right. So would love for people to get involved.
1: So that was uh, KarenBass.com, May 9th. We should remember that. Um, Congresswoman, thank you so much for, uh, for your time, for being on the show. Uh, and I hope to talk to you again soon.
2: All right. Thank you very much
1: i appreciate it
2: <laughs> bye
1: that was my interview with congresswoman and la mayor candidate karen bass uh, thank you congresswoman for being on the blunt post with vic this morning and i hope to chat with you again soon
0: the blunt post with vic
1: eric strong is a los angeles native after attending usc he served in the marine corps and began his career in public safety in 1993 following in his father's footsteps to become a patrol officer for the Compton Police Department. Eric is a founding board member of Police Against Racism, which strives to dismantle systemic racism in policing. He's also a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He has personally been targeted by police, has family members that have been incarcerated and killed by police, and he has also been a victim of crime. Over his nearly 30 years in law enforcement, Eric Strong has led units across virtually every function of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, from patrol to courts, custody, investigations, internal affairs, risk management, and auditing. Eric is a candidate for the L.A. County Sheriff
0: elections in 2022.
1: Good morning, Eric. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today?
0: Good morning, Vic. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How are you? Uh,
1: I'm great. It's a pleasure to have you again on the show, and congrats on uh, your campaign, the success of your campaign. Um, how Thank are you. things as we as we speak?
0: Things are very very busy uh, going. I mean, a lot of positive momentum. Uh, things are flowing, uh, you know. But it's a very very busy time. There's a lot of competitors in the race, uh, so we're happy with where we are right now.
1: Great. Well, uh, congrats on all the endorsements you've been getting one after another. Thank you. Uh, That's fantastic. I want to sort of bring something up before we get into really your campaign and your objectives and your plans. And that's the recent, uh, what would you call it, an incident or recent developments uh, about the LA Times journalist, um, uh, Arlene Zekmedian, who uh, exposed a kind of a well it was an abuse of an inmate while in custody uh, it was an LA Times article investigative report um, where initially uh, Sheriff Villanueva came out sort of swinging and saying we're gonna investigate her and this and that but uh after uh, LA Times um, taking a you know firm stand he backed down and said no 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 we're not we're not going to investigate any journalists or anyone from LA Times for this. And of course he, um, he denied that he knew anything about the, the abuse until about eight months later. And then, and, and I'm saying this for our listeners who may not be as familiar. And then yesterday there was another sort of break in the story where the assistant sheriff came forward and said that uh, only five days after the incident, she had brought the videotape of the incident to Sheriff Villanueva, and they'd washed it together, so he certainly knew about it, um, among other things that are uh, alleged in the in the LA Times article that came out yesterday. So I want to get your take on that, your perspective.
0: Well, that's th- this is quite shocking, I'm sure, to most people, but it's not surprising to myself and probably many of the people that know uh, Alex. Uh, you know, he came out, and he very clearly. Um, inferred, implied, and stated that Aileen, the the Times reporter, was under investigation. I mean, he went so far as to have boards made. uh, He brought pictures out and he had his pointer with him. So I think he absolutely is just trying to be a bully. He's trying to intimidate the fact that he's even uh, indicating that he opened a criminal investigation into who leaked this and with charges such as burglary and and theft and these kind of things. Uh, he is really just trying to retaliate and intimidate whistleblowers. And he's trying to give a warning to anybody that comes behind that reports misconduct. He's trying to let people know, if you do this to me, I'm gonna come after you. And this is who he is. This is who I've known him to be for probably close to 18 years. Uh, Cause I had these experiences with him, uh, you know, back in 2004, 2005. So it's no surprise. Uh, I think it's shameful. I think it sends a very bad message, uh, to the deputies on the department, because many of them will look at this and think that, Hey, this is okay. Because we already have, you know, news articles about retaliation against family members, impacted family members. So he's just pretty much, you know, condoning this and seconding, you know, that this is the way we do things here in the sheriff's department as a bully. And it really sends a bad message to the community. Um, it's, it's sad. Uh, I, I think he, he needs to go, um. I would hope that, you know, the 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 federal government or somebody comes out with some type of inquiry investigation into this because uh, too many people are coming out saying he knew. And so I I find it hard to believe that he did.
1: Yeah. You know, don't take any responsibility for your actions, but double down and uh, try to intimidate and silence those that are telling the truth in this case. So we'll see. It does sound like uh, we haven't seen the end of this. Um, but I want to focus on you now. And, uh, you know, first, I want to get your perspective on what do you think is, or a few things, what are the most challenging things facing the uh, L.A. Sheriff's Department, as well as just L.A. County in general, when it comes to law enforcement going forward?
0: There's a lot of challenges right now. I mean, we've been, you know, just rot with the last four years of controversy, uh, you know, misinformation, of poor leadership, you know, but this has been going on, like I said, for for a couple of decades. Uh, I I think we need somebody really that can come in and settle the waters, uh, that can come in and just, hey, you know what, we need to calm things down. We need to get back to what's true, what's factual, and doing what's best for the community. Uh, You know, we've been in uncharted waters with the pandemic, um, with civil unrest. There's been a lot going on uh, in the last couple of years. And honestly, we've had we've had a leader that is just um, has really kind of taken our department backwards. You know what a lot of people don't realize is is what is going on internally within the department. You know, you see the news, you see the incidents that come out, but internally the department is very divided. Um, it, it is in disarray on the inside. Uh, promotions there's 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 no consistency to anything. So what I need to do is be able to come in. And and kind of get back to what are the basics? You know, how do we do things right? How do we do things fair? How do we do things equitably? Uh, we need to get things you know settled on the inside because if we can't treat each other on the inside with common courtesy, respect, and dignity, there's no way anybody could expect us to do that to the public on the outside. So you know, internally it needs to be settled down. Um, law enforcement, you know, as a whole. I mean, we're dealing with so many things. I mean, I'm going to speak specific to the sheriff's department. You know, we still have this deputy gang issue, which has been talked about the last 30 or 40 years that we need to resolve and we need to get under wraps. You know, and, and like I've said, you know, I've already investigated. them. We need to allow these outside entities to be able to come in, conduct their investigations uh, unhindered. We've got to stop getting in their way. Uh, we have this homelessness crisis, you know, dealing with the unhoused and, and those with mental health issues that we need to deal with. And, you know, crime is on the rise. We see it all the time. Uh, with the smash and grabs, with you know the robberies, the street robberies, and and I think a lot of that also comes from where law enforcement is right now. Uh, they're fearful and they're angry, and and I'll finish with this. You know, law enforcement is fearful of being the next person on video that goes nationwide, doing something or saying something wrong. You know, your your average you know deputies out on the street, police officers out on the street, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, everybody's out here with cameras. I don't want to be the national, the next national highlight. Uh, But they're also angry, and that's because there are so many good women and men out there doing the job their way they're supposed to be, Uh, but they're being looped in and lumped in with these bad actors. You know, they're being looped in and lumped in with the deputy gangs, and anything negative that happens in law enforcement, you know, uh, large parts of our community look at everybody in uniform like they're the same, and so, you know, they're they're, they're a little angry, like, I didn't do anything. I'm just trying to do my job, and I'm trying to do it the right way, and you're mad at me. Uh, and you're taking it out on me. And so yeah. they don't quite understand.
1: It. You and I have talked about, you actually touched on a few issues that I really wanted to talk about. And we've talked about the deputy gangs before, For but those who are listening who may not be familiar with what we're talking about, if you can explain deputy gangs briefly.
0: So deputy gangs uh, are these various clique subgroups that exist within the Sheriff's Department, and they exist uh, in different places jail facilities and or stations. So when we talk about deputy gangs, they actually have names. Uh, they're actually cliques within a station. So they're even divided within their own station that they work in. Uh, the two most popular that are out there right now are like the Executioners and the Banditos. And um, you know, like I said, this, this conversation has been going on for decades.
1: And the band plays on. It just keeps <laughs> going and going. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, we need it, we need to
0: stop the music once and for all.
1: Yeah, and and to think, you know, just going back to what you were saying about uh, people who are coming forward, I, I always think for every one LA Times article or every one expose, there are hundreds that are not talking. There are so many uh, deputies that probably quit and leave, and they just don't want to deal with it. There are so many uh, people who are abused who uh, you know never have a voice. It's Um, You know it's just a numbers thing. So um, when you're talking about the internal issues it it really resonates Uh, and how do you deal with sort of the challenge that's LA County and LA City uh, in terms of you know what LA Sheriff has to deal with when internally you have, you know, I mean may I say broken in a way, and you have issues. Uh, you also talked about the unhoused, the homeless, uh, homelessness challenge in the city. It's, you know, I, 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 I keep saying it. I, I definitely consider it a national issue, a state issue. Uh, it's not just an L.A. County issue because uh, it, it has a lot to do with disintegration of middle class and uh, income inequity and all of that. But uh, either way, California has half of the nation's homeless and big portion of that is in L.A. County. And it's definitely on, on the voters' front burner right now. And that, too, has been sort of a, I hate this term, balancing act, because it's like, right. you have to do the right thing. There shouldn't be any balancing act. But it seems like a lot of elected officials are doing sort of balancing in terms of uh, helping the unhoused and the challenges they face, whether it be Uh, financial or mental health or you know drug abuse and again I don't want to stigmatize it and I don't want to make it sound like that's a big issue with everybody because that's not true Um, but uh, you know LA Sheriff comes in you know uh, into that equation too Uh, where do you think um, the role of LA Sheriff would be going forward since I feel like whoever is elected to mayor next uh, is gonna have uh, you know a, a big task to do and a big challenge.
0: yeah that's a very good question and you bring up some very you know uh, salient points about that you know I don't think that the sheriff's Department or law enforcement should be the point person or the point agency on this the first point of contact listen we've been trying to arrest our way out of this this crisis for, for years and years, and it's simply not working. But the points that you brought up, some of these people that are unhoused have mental health issues. Some of them um, are are suffering from addiction. You know, people miss the fact that some are families that, you know, are living in their cars because that's all they have left. Uh, Some are abused women that have run away from their home, their house to, you know, for what it's safer for them to be out on the street than it is to be in, a, in an abusive relationship. You know, we have a large population of the LGBTQ plus community that is out there because maybe their, their families have put them out. And so there's so many different variables of this. We cannot put a blanket solution over it and expect it to be the fix. But what I can tell you this is that we're not gonna find our solutions to any of those in a jail cell. You know, we're, we're just simply not. Right. So, You know, and and there's two components of it. Number one is everybody looks at, we need to protect our our residents from the unhoused. But, you know, the unhoused are often targeted. You know, predators use them as victims as well. So public safety is the sheriff's department and law enforcement's uh, part in this. We need to not only protect, you know, the public, uh, which includes the unhoused in terms of, you know, protecting public space and land, but also protect those that are unhoused. To make sure that they're not victimized. So, you know, that's where it takes really a collaborative and cooperative spirit to work with different stakeholders, different advocates uh, to find the individual solutions to this. And this is why one of the reasons that uh, I am the only candidate that said no to building a new men's central jail, because all we're doing in our jail is we have the largest jail system in the country, but within that, the, we have the largest mental health hospital as well in our jail and there's something wrong with that. You know, number 1 is if we, you know, build a beds that give them mental health services, health services, addiction services, social services, right? Number 1, we're going to make them better. We're going to make anybody that needs those services, those resources better. That's also going to help build union. It's going to help build middle class jobs because now we're bringing in social workers, now we're bringing in mental health workers, I mean from the construction all the way through to the people that are helping clean, cook, um, you know, you name it, the administrative people, we're going to help build, um, you know, middle-class jobs with, with, that, you know, as opposed to just putting a new jail there. So,
1: and, mm-hmm. sorry, okay. I just have to say, and, uh, contributing to the prison industrial complex that's become for profit and has, uh, is uh, just really out of control. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, there it's, you know, if we had the solution to this, Vic, I, I think we would have, uh, we would have, uh, implemented it already. You know, but like you said, a lot of it is about money. So uh, the solution is gonna take people coming together, working together collaboratively. And, and part of it also is is the sheriff's department doing their part in the county areas. Uh, you know, this political grandstanding and going outside our boundaries, uh, going into Hollywood, going into Venice, you notice it always comes up whenever he's trying to deflect and you know take some attention away from something bad going on with him. But uh, we need to show L.A. County, we need to show law enforcement, if we have this great model that is truly solving this problem, we need to impact it in our own areas and then go to LAPD and then go to other agencies or whoever it is and say, hey, look, this is what we're doing. You wanna try it, we'll help you. You know, as opposed to just trying to go in and bully our ways into areas that that are not ours. Because really what that's doing is that is taking away resources and services from county areas. You know, it, it really is. I mean, it is diminishing the services for the taxpayers that are paying for L.A. County Sheriff uh, to patrol and to provide resources for their communities.
1: Yeah, makes, makes sense. Um, Eric, for, for people listening, uh, what are some of the highlights uh, in terms of um, like your initiatives that uh, voters should know when they go to the poll or when they're mailing their ballot?
0: Well, I think some of the highlights, number one, about me are bringing uh, compassion, respect and dignity uh, to every every contact. And like I mentioned earlier, people always look at deputies or law enforcement as those people out there driving the black and white cars, you know, pulling people over. You have to remember, we have the largest jail system in the country. So we need to treat our incarcerated population with the same compassion, respect and dignity. They're no less deserving just because they're in our custody. The other thing is alternatives to incarceration. You know, care before jails. We really need to look at what alternatives are. Again, we're not going to continue to arrest our way out of some of these uh, crises that we're in. And I think uh, for me, the other thing is obviously addressing deputy misconduct and addressing shooting and and force policies. Uh, As a force instructor, I look at a lot of the incidents that we see on the news, and I know they could be handled a lot different. You know, we need to stop, you know, trying to escalate the problems, which we do oftentimes. A lot of people are looking for de-escalation language in in our policies. And I know that we can incorporate non-escalation language in there as well, uh, because oftentimes law enforcement pushes the envelope and takes uh, a situation or incident to where it is. And and I think the last thing that I would say that, that would be my policy is just making sure that we have a legitimate, grievable, testable promotion process within the sheriff's department. And many people don't realize, Vic, that part of the problem with the sheriff's department is that in order to get into the executive ranks, it is just a tap on the shoulder. That means the sheriff gets to come and say, hey, you do what I want when I tell you how I tell you, you deliver my message my way, and you will get this path to better living. And this is why you see so many people not speaking up. This is why things are allowed to go on because he has absolute control. You know, other agencies have requirements. Other agencies have testing processes. You know, this is no way to pick the top leadership in the world's largest sheriff's department. And, and we've seen this time and time again. We saw this with the Tanaka regime, the pay to play. You know, uh, it, it's the same thing. So that's something I wanna work with the Board of Supervisors with. And uh, And I know I said that was the last thing, but obviously rebuilding these relationships with the Board of Supervisors Oversight and committing to expanding oversight.
1: Wow, those are really good, solid um, plans. I mean, the last one, who knew and, and you know, in 2022, it's such an archaic system of uh, promotion and such. So, good luck with that. It's, uh, it just seems daunting, but I know that you're up for the task. Uh, Eric, before we go, how can people uh, get involved, find out more about you, call to action perhaps?
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Vic. You know, please go to my website. It's www.strong4sheriff.com. Uh, I can be, be reached directly. Uh, i give you my personal uh, campaign email, which is strong4sheriff at gmail.com, and you will get a personal response from me please go take a look at the uh, website, educate yourself on all the candidates, do those Google searches, make sure you dig in, Uh, educate. And and the the last thing I would ask people is be deliberate about your conversations about how important this vote is. There's so many people out there that don't even realize that the sheriff is an elected official and they don't realize that, hey, I live in Pasadena, we have our own police department. Do I get to vote for the sheriff? Yes, you do, it's a countywide election. Be deliberate in those conversations, educate, because if we don't get involved, we're only going to get who we're going to get, and we can't be mad after that.
1: Absolutely. Um, Just because you don't I mean, just because you don't see it on a daily basis doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. So definitely people need to be um, more conscious about uh, all elected officials, including. A sheriff, and your website again is uh, Strong for Sheriff, and four is the number four. So, strongforsheriff.com. Uh, Eric, thank you for being on the show this morning, and uh, we'll hopefully talk again
0: uh, soon. All right, Vic. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to it. Have a great day.
1: You too. That was Eric Strong, who is running for LA Sheriff in this year's elections, uh, who has been uh, a 30 plus year veteran of the LA Sheriff's Department. Uh, Thank you, Eric, for being on the blunt Post with Vic this morning, and uh, I hope to chat with you again soon. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 6 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram
2: and Twitter at Vic The Blunt Post with Vic.